Crossroads, they're there for all of us. We know we may move along from day to day easily, walking in the sunshine, enjoying the view, feeling at peace, when all of a sudden it comes. A crossroad, a choice point. There we stand, frozen to the spot. Which way now? To the right? To the left? Straight ahead? What weights down each of these choices? Which way does our heart call us to go? And which way makes sense? And which is God's way? The answers aren't easy. A crossroad can bring daunting spiritual pain, and it can bring us to our knees. It can even bring us to destruction. Today we have an expert on the crossroad of declaration. The Apostle Peter is with us. Peter is famous for his choices. Some he would be proud of, some not so much. Peter, I'd like to welcome you today. Cheer for Peter. How you doing? Fine, take a seat. Talk a little bit here. Peter, we, we seem to know you pretty well. Uh, we hear you often in scripture, and it is good to have you with us today. I'm here to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am, I am his servant and follower. I think I know I'm, why I'm here, and I'm not pleased. No, well, I thought you would be happy to be among us with your good news. Yes, certainly, but I suppose you want, us, want me to focus on a time when I made a choice and, not, and I wasn't a proud witness, a time when I failed. Well, that's what's puzzling to us and why we want to look at that event at the time when you denied Jesus. It seems hard to understand. You were such a leader of the disciples, the one who seemed to understand everything that Jesus was about and what he was doing as the Messiah. I thought I understood. Jesus even complimented me on my bold witness to who he was as God's Messiah. He called me blessed, filled with God's word. But then, even after you were warned, you went and denied him three times. If I could go back now and face that crossroads again, I would know what to do. You see, I thought I knew what Jesus was doing. In spite of his, the times that he was telling us he was going to suffer and die, I still thought he would be the one we hoped he would be. After all, he paraded in the city of Jerusalem in the ways that he was the coming king. I thought we were on the way to having God's Messiah as the king and ruler as we, as we needed. I didn't know what all that talk about suffering was about. And is that why you could not speak his name when you were in the priest's courtyard? At that point, everything was going wrong. He wasn't supposed to be arrested. I even tried to fight for him. He wasn't supposed to be on trial. Where was his power? Where were his miracles? We were, where was his ability to simply walk away when he was threatened? At that point, when they accused me, I saw Jesus failing, and I failed too. Were you afraid then? Afraid, yes. I guess so. But I was baffled, confused, disappointed, in despair. But it's not an excuse. It's just what happened. You had said that you would even die for him at one point, though. Did, didn't you mean that? That was just my quick mouth. Another time I spoke without thinking. 
I just said that to impress Jesus and the others. I guess I was looking for another compliment. It was important for me to know that Jesus respected me, thought it was worthwhile. I needed him to appreciate me and what I've done for him. But his warning, didn't you hear his warning? Jesus said many things I really didn't understand at the time. I guess I just wasn't hearing. It was easy for me, and I'm sure for you too, to see myself as the strong in faith, able to speak the right words, able to stand up for Jesus, and able to witness. But when I was in that situation, I could not choose the path I knew I should choose. I could not say the words I know I needed to say. It was dark in my spirit at the moment, and I could not see, and I could not speak. So it was a terrible time then. More terrible than you know. Oh, I know all of us find ourselves at places where we know we should speak the good word. I know what it is like for you when you find yourselves among those who use their dirty minds and mouths for words or hurt or shame someone. I know you find yourselves among those who misuse God's name, act as though his commands don't exist. I know you struggle in your minds with what to say and do in those situations. The questions come. Will my words of faith help? Will they be effective? Won't what I say set me apart, make me look foolish? Ruin my relationships? Isn't it better just to keep quiet or go along? I know you may not face a time when your words will put your life in danger, but certainly there are times we all find ourselves at a crossroad that calls us to boldly speak Jesus' name and God's will, and we will fail. It seems you know us too well, Peter. We do not speak the words that we should when we should. I guess the best part of my story is that I did not finish my discipleship in tears of failure. Jesus came and found me the day out on the beach after he had risen. He loved me enough to call me back after I turned my back on him. Do you love me? He asked me three times. And then he sent me to feed his lambs and sheep. And here is the best part. He calls you back too. He does not leave us in our failure. He does not turn us away. He is there each day with the forgiveness we need to go one more day and face one more test and to stand one more crossword and by his power, the power of the Holy Spirit to be what he wants us to be, what we want to be. So Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's our affirmation. That's our calling. We can stand and speak the good news because he has done all for us. Most certainly. Remember that you are the chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim his excellencies of him who called out called you out of the darkness for into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 1, verse 9. Seek his power to walk into the light. Peter, thank you. You've given us some thoughts to chew on for thank a while here. Thank pleasure. you. Let's hear it for Peter. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> Peter's interview and life have brought up some good points. Some points for us to think about sin and forgiveness. To cover this topic, I have brought in caterers, and we will be here until next Tuesday. 
That's okay. Well, we got some tents out back. It's going to take us a few days to talk about sin and forgiveness. Seriously, though, I think we can all identify with Peter. We all struggle with sin. When we use the word sin, we have a tendency to use it abstractly and not specifically. In the Bible, to sin is an archery term meaning to miss the mark. We miss the mark with God when we do not live as his children, obedient to him and in love to one another. And while we can confess on Sunday mornings our sins in church, sometimes that knowledge of missing the mark can affect us for days or months or years to come. What can we do? I think Peter's example offers us a chance to reflect on the dynamics of sin and forgiveness and how they affect us in three different ways. First, there's nothing worse than missing the mark, either in God's eyes or parents' eyes or your spouse's eyes, missing the mark. But then having to be reminded by others all the time and be the poster child for doing wrong leaves wounds wide open. I mean, look at Peter. What do you remember him for? For confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, which he did do, or for denying Jesus three times in his trial? We remember the horrible Peter. Even Peter tells us today, he says, I know what you want to talk about. Peter's trying to get over it. And he is over it, but we're not. We don't always want to be reminded of the bad things that we have done. We'd like to forget them. But there are those who will constantly remind us from time to time. They may be little things to us, but nonetheless things that others remember. These are shortcomings known to all around you. Although forgiven, they are what is religiously remembered and maybe statistically celebrated. It's sort of like standing on the sandlot to play baseball and being the last one picked. Everyone is still your friend, but they remember the errors that you made the last game. From the time I was nine until I moved away from home, around 18, we had a large family gatherings at Christmas time. My uncle Roy played Santa Claus starting when I was around eight years old. My sister and cousin were six years old. And I recognized Roy in costume on Christmas Eve. Need I go on? Others reminded me of how I spoiled Christmas every year after that. I was sorry, of course. I know this wasn't disastrous. It wasn't a sin, per se, but something bad that I did that I'll always be remembered for. It's something that I want to get rid of. The reminding, the reliving kept opening the wound. Perhaps you can relate. 
Second thing, you may miss the mark or sin where others keep reminding you, but there are times when you miss the mark and feel bad about it. You may remember them, but they don't affect you moment they only affect you momentarily. In college, for example, I used to travel a lot by bus between cities, between Chicago and Detroit, Chicago and St. Louis. The casual conversation with the seat partner always started, where are you going? Where did you come from? And then the killer, what are you studying? Theology. And I'm going to be a pastor and missionary. Kind of rang out in slow motion. That was it. The next three hours plus, we would discuss everything from evolution to Buddha. <laughs> Although the conversations were amiable, I got tired of it. The questions, the opinions, the constant obstinacy at times. So many times, I would pretend to be asleep. Missing the opportunity to talk about Jesus. I think of the many missed opportunities, and I'm sure you can too, in which we could have said something, met a need in the other person, allowed the Spirit of God to guide us in need, to guide us in a conversation, or simply to be present near someone who is in need. But because of selfishness, shrunk back, and self-serving complacency, not wanting to talk. Maybe we didn't know what to say. Maybe we didn't want to lose a friend who might ridicule our faith. Maybe we didn't want to be politically incorrect and be blamed for it. The shoulda, woulda, coulda time to talk about Jesus passed, and we feel bad. Our text, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of Christ unto salvation, has to do with this aspect of sin and forgiveness. What is it to be ashamed of the gospel except to turn your back on the gospel and in doing so, turn your back on the person to whom you might be able to share the good news of Jesus. Others don't mind us, remind us of these times, we remind ourselves. We think about them. I think about this time often. I often, uh, obviously telling you. We realize we are forgiven, but next time we will try to speak more when the opportunity arises. We are, of course, forgiven of our sins, even if we are reminded, even if we continue to remind ourselves. But our third example is the worst of all. It's not so much about the sin as it is about the forgiveness. It's, not, it's how do those sins affect us for which we cannot forgive ourselves. Nobody knows about this sin but you, and you cannot extinguish the pain you harbor inside. You may accuse yourself over and over and can't let go. Even if you hear the words of forgiveness and consciously know that Christ died for your sins, you can't seem to get over it. You can't seem to forgive yourself. 
You set yourself up on such a high pedestal that you thought yourself incapable of missing the mark. You know others have fallen into this, but not you. Never, Lord, will I betray you. I will stand and fight. Self-righteous in our minds, we cannot forgive ourselves. We can't believe that we would sin or do or think whatever it is. We may even go so far as to say, how can God forgive me? We might hear the words in church, but then they may come back. I'm reminded of a case on the mission field when there were two missionaries and the wife of the head of the team at that time was unfaithful. They went to the U.S. for counseling, but she could not forgive herself and left the church. Tim, my wife's, my, my, my sister's husband, were together for a long time. Tim was not a churchgoer. He was not a professed Christian. Tim got cancer five years ago. Suddenly I felt the need to share Christ with him. And I was tortured by the fact that why hadn't I done this before? Of course I was forgiven. But I couldn't help thinking the reason that I wanted to share Christ was to calm my own conscience, to say and relieve myself saying, I'm a pastor and a missionary and a professor, and I waited until the last moment to share Christ with this person. And now I'm going to do it so that after he has died, I might be off the hook. We sat and we talked. We talked about Christ. We talked about his salvation. Even though I felt this way. For years after that, I fought with that. Here, look at who I am. And I was reluctant to share this message because of selfish reasons. I wanted to do it now. What do we do? The Greek word for forgiveness is letting go. To know that God has let go of your sin, you're missing the mark. As far as the east is from the west, this is the beginning of self-healing. This is what happened to Peter on the shore when he encountered the risen Lord. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter still remembers what he did, even that others remind him of it, but he accepted the Lord's forgiveness. Still doesn't want to talk about it. Here you cannot talk yourself into accepting God's forgiveness in Christ. Sometimes the accusations come so strong because Satan wants you to continue to wallow in the sins that he has already forgiven. He wants you to crucify yourself on your own conscience and rely on your self-righteousness and not the cross of Christ. It's in these moments that you have to go outside yourself into God's sources for you to know that you are objectively forgiven and made righteous and forgiven in his eyes. And we look to baptism where he has chosen us as his child. 
where he has given us faith in the forgiveness of sins. We look to the Lord's Supper where he comes to us, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This is objective. These are arrows in the heart of Satan who wants to bother our consciences. Paul says in his letter to Romans, Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he says also, for no one is declared righteous before him by the works of the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. When we hear these words, when we reflect on our baptism, when we go to the Lord's Supper, we are assured by God and not our consciences that our sins are forgiven. Only there we can begin to forgive ourselves. Amen. If you're interested in knowing more about Jesus Christ or about Grace Lutheran Church, please go to www.gracealoneonline.org. You can email us at gracealoneonline at gmail.com.